Our first reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, to chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as people of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The word of the Lord. Let's now stand together as Lauren reads for us the gospel. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Gospel of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, grant us to be a people who are together bearing witness to the mystery of your reconciling all things to yourself by our being together in unity and in love for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so far in, in our sermon series, we're learning how our gathering uh, for worship on Sundays, like we are doing right now, 
It first uh, restories us to keep in step to the rhythm of God's story. Now, second, uh, our worship, uh, embodied worship together, reshapes our hope and imagination for the future in and through the worship liturgy, the order of service. And then there was a third thing we looked at, that is, our gathering for worship, uh, Jesus is seen and encountered in our embodied midst, in our embodied community. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at the fourth aspect of embodied worship, a fourth one. That is the sacramental mission of the church. The sacramental mission of the church. That, that sounds technical, and it's technical indeed, so it bears some unpacking. But, we, but before we get into that, this is really what I'm going to say in a nutshell. If I would hope for just one thing for us to take away this morning, it would be that the good news of Jesus is seen and witnessed in our being together in any given space. The good news of Jesus is seen and witnessed in Christians being physically together in any given space. To get the point across even more, let me put it in a negative sense. See, the world and people will not see and will not witness the good news when Christians are not physically together. See, when Christians are just by themselves, all alone, isolated, not together with other Christians, the good news of Jesus cannot be fully seen. I'm not saying that the good news can only only be apprehended by Christians being together physically. I mean, there are many ways that the good news can be apprehended. But what I will be saying is that the gospel is apprehended mainly when Christians are together and are in bodily relationship together. So that's pretty much my sermon. Amen. (laughs) Well, I mean, let's go back to that technical phrase I said, sacramental mission of the church. That is related to Christians being together, which bears witness to the good news. So let's unpack, unpack what that means, sacramental mission. There are two words. Let's look at the first word, sacramental. Um, most of us here probably grew up uh, Protestant evangelical. The word sacrament was ever, ever rarely mentioned in church unless you grew up Catholic or Anglican. The word comes from the Latin sacramentum, which in ancient Roman law, it's, uh, it's an object or a sum of money that you give uh, in court to present as your oath or a pledge. It's actually your deposit that certifies that The legal testimony that you're about to give in court is valid. It's true. And somehow if it was proven that you were lying, committed perjury, you forfeit your sacramentum. It becomes a penalty. It's also part of Roman military custom where soldiers would give a sacramentum as their pledge of allegiance to the empire. They had to give something up to be enlisted. Now over time, the meaning of the word in Christianized Rome it developed this theological sense and the Christian sacraments were held in the same regard. See, these sacraments now are the physical pledges of God's testimony in court, so to speak. His word on the dock, His promises in Scripture of future and present grace to us and to the world. The sacraments, they're God's deposit, His down payment, as it were, that guaranteed 
His word, His testimony, His promise of salvation. As we know them today, the sacraments, you have two of them, baptism and there's communion, they actually physically confirm and certify to us the ongoing and present work of God's salvation in our lives and all over the world. We can think of the sacraments as God's uh, regular contributions, as, as it were, into an investment account. And the investment account is not somewhere in a bank, but it's in creation. It's in our bodies. It's in our souls. It's in the very fabric of the universe, into all of creation. It signals to us that He's still invested in us. He's still invested in the world. He's still invested in the creation that He made physically. And it's pledging to us that He's not only saving us now, He will save us fully and totally and eventually. In other words, the sacraments, the physical things, they signal to us of a future time when God will fully cash in, cash in on His promise, to make good on His word, that He'll completely transform creation, just like even now at this moment in time, He transforms water He transforms bread. He transforms wine as His means of grace to us. Just as He even now is transforming each one of us, you and me, in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts. There's this regularity of the sacraments as is God's ongoing pledge, His oath on repeat throughout human history. His broken record promise to us and to the next generation, to the next, to the next, to the next, that He is not lying. God is not lying to us. That His word and promises, you can hold them, you can taste them, you can feel it on your head and in your body. He's going to fulfill them in time. He's even right now fulfilling them in front of us whenever we partake of the bread and wine So thinking of the sacraments this way, at the right time in history, God actually gave His definitive, ultimate pledge, His deposit, His ultimate sacrament to us. You guessed it, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrament. It's God's personally investing Himself into creation. He didn't buy our gold. He didn't buy into our stocks and bonds. He bought into our flesh, our human nature. His literally investing into us and into creation. When God put on His skin and blood into the game, as the saying goes. Okay, so then, this mystery of the incarnation. This is God's good word, His testimony in human form. His good news in Jesus, good promise made visible and tangible, holdable. We see now in the flesh and bones of Jesus, heaven and earth having been reconciled. And even now, heaven and earth are being reconciled. We see in Jesus that creator and creation have been brought together. And even now, creator and creation are being brought together in the future moment. In Jesus, the divine and the human are on a collision course. They've already collided in Jesus Christ. The Incarnation is God's ultimate sacrament, pledging to us and guaranteeing to all of the world His good news, His good word, 
And this is what it's revealing. This is, in fact, the mystery of the good news, that in Jesus, we see now what God is up to. And we didn't know what he was up to to begin with. But we see now what he's up to. What is he up to? God is reconciling all things, all people to himself. That's the good news. This is the sacrament. It's showing in Jesus the good news that he is reconciling all things, all people to himself. All right, so you've followed along so far. I'm going somewhere with this. Here is the kicker. Because of the incarnation, because of the ultimate sacrament in Jesus, there is now this notion of sacramentality. There is this notion of sacramentality. That is the invisible and spiritual God becoming visible and physical in Jesus. There's now this infinite possibility that our physical universe itself is charged itself with sacramental meaning. That is black holes and bugs, stars and galaxies, fishes and flowers, oceans and mountains, human relationships, experiences, gestures. They somehow all convey to a degree the spiritual and invisible reality of God's grace to us. They can all convey to some measure the good news, that good promise, that mystery that God is right now up to something. He's reconciling everything to himself. American theologian Richard Foster, he wrote this about sacramentality. If we're truly alive to the manifest presence of the living God, even the most ordinary of experiences can become an extraordinary experience of grace. You see a bird in flight, that can become a herald of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Looking steadily into the face of another person can become itself an experience of looking into the face of God. An empty bowl placed on a homemade altar, that can become an icon of spiritual poverty. A walk in the woods can lead us to see, smell, and Feel the glory of God in the land of the living. You're going out shopping in a lavishly stocked grocery store. That can become an epiphany of gratitude for abundance. Or even of godly sorrow for those without access to or money for nourishing food and fresh water. Okay, so what is all of that that I've just said so far have to do with us being together? with Christians being together right now in one space. The church can itself be called a sacrament. Right? The church is God's sacrament to all of creation. That is, just, just as Jesus is God's ultimate sacrament to the world, as his definitive pledge of good news to the world, the church now at this time stands as the body of Christ in this world as God's contemporary ongoing pledge of good news to the world. In fact, our being together physically, it visually signals, it visually shows, it confirms and certifies that same pledge that God is up to something, that He is reconciling people together and He will reconcile people to Himself. Just as he in the past reconciled divinity and humanity together in Jesus Christ. That same pledge 
That deposit continues in the church, inside the body of Christ on earth, when Christians are physically and visually together, embodying, embodying the good news of reconciliation. Uh, we, we read in uh, Paul's epistle in the Corinthians how the apostle described uh, the Christian assembly in Corinth as a letter, a handwritten letter that's being read by the world. Now, he wrote this in chapter 3. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of your human hearts. See, a handwritten letter, like who, who does that these days? A handwritten letter, going on uh, snail mail. Letters have sacramental meaning. In that, the message conveyed by the visible ink, on a physical page, it signals on this page the presence of the messenger, even though they're absent physically, or they're technically spiritual or invisible. Say you got by snail mail an apology letter uh, from a friend. They've recently hurt you, and they've written a note of sorry to you. And you've, you've opened up the letter, uh, you've read it yourself, and after reading it, you take a piece of match, you light it up, and you burn the letter. That's pretty dramatic, but... There's a point to it. What are you conveying if you have done that to the letter? You didn't just burn pulp and paper. You signaled. You conveyed something. You rejected the message and so rejected the messenger. You are saying that your friend is no longer your friend. There was a sacramental meaning to that page. Paul is using sacramental language here. You show, you signal, you are a letter from Christ. You being the church, an assembly, together made up of so many Christians. A church, it signals, it shows, it messages to creation that something about this good news, that God is up to something. He's even now trying to reconcile people together. People who are so different from each other. People who are even now, the church around the world, are so divided. It, what I'm trying to say here is that you cannot separate the message from the messenger. You can't separate the message from the messenger. Someone who isn't Christian, they, they can reject the gospel, not just by intellectually disagreeing or being offended by the teachings of the church. People who aren't Christians, they can legitimately reject the gospel because they've become offended by how divided, how distant, unreconciled, unforgiving, unrepentant, and unmerciful Christians and the church can be. You can't separate the message from the messenger. The reverse is also true. Someone who isn't Christian, they, they can be so drawn, so enamored, so attracted by seeing the showing of how the church and Christians together are united, are loving, are reconciling, forgiving, repenting, and merciful. You can't separate the message from the messenger. By describing the church as a letter from Christ, Paul is saying that each local church is God's sacrament to that part of the world. God's letter to that local region 
who is drawing out and living out the terms of God's peace and reconciliation. The local church being both messenger and message that manifests the good news of reconciliation to that little corner of the world. See, Little Trinity is a, sort of like a domestic letter to this part of Toronto, this corner of creation. That's what the world is seeing. Now, we, we can, we should be teaching, proclaiming, preaching, and explaining the gospel. But, but just as significant, the gospel needs to be embodied. That is, by our gathering together physically. Christians who are living together in the mess, in the risk of relationship, in our collective aiming towards having a culture, showing a culture of true forgiveness and justice, in our handling hurt and abuse in our midst, of true holiness and mercy in our handling morals, of showing true tolerance in our handling difference and disagreement, of showing true reconciliation in our handling difference and diversity and disparity. You can't separate the message from the messenger. So that's a lot. Um, as God's sacrament, as the church, as God's letter to the world, we're then sent out to the world to carry and to carry out the good news in our gathered existence. Now, this is where the second word comes in, sacramental mission. The second word is mission. And in Latin, it means send. Send. That's what you do to a letter. Right? You send it. You send a letter. A letter is useless without you sending it, without it being delivered. If it's not sent, the, the message cannot be read. And so in every time in history, God sends the church as his letter to the world. Not just to be the messenger of good news to the world, but also to be the message by being together. Why is it that we're here on Sundays? Why do you show up? Right? We, we get to sing, we get to hear from God's word. But our spiritual practice together as an embodied community is sacramental too. We are baptized together. We are taking communion together. Our mission stems now from this practice of sacramental living. Case in point, uh, take Jesus himself. He was sent by God on mission. He started his public ministry right after what he right after he was baptized. Or more accurately, Jesus was sent on mission from out of his baptism when God the Father affirmed him as his son and then the Holy Spirit descending upon him. This is how Jesus began his ministry. How are we starting off our ministry? First from baptism. Now talking about communion. We read in our gospel reading, the first disciples of Jesus, they were together and they were sent out by Jesus on a mission to the world. And what were the mission parameters? What were the marching orders? A new command I give you. By this the people will read. By this the world will see that you are my disciples if you love one another. You can't love without the other. These were the marching orders that Jesus gave them. And you know what? He gave these orders and commands out of their just having communion together. From out of just having their feet washed by Jesus. 
the mission of the church is birthed and has come out of their sacramental life, from out of their sacramental practice, to embody, as it were, the baptism, to embody communion, the sacrificial death and selfless love of Jesus on the cross. This is what Tim Chester put it, the author and theologian. Baptism and communion, they're like many dramas. We're not just in the audience just looking passively. We're part of the cast. We don't look on from afar. We merely learning information, gathering data. We are participating in the drama. We live in character. And as we live in character, we become the characters we ought to be. Characters we already are by grace. We are learning our lines and we're learning to improvise. So as we go from baptism and communion into the world, we're more equipped to play the part as men and women in Christ. And you know what? We actually need each other. We need all of us together to make up the cast. To play out God's greatest drama in this world of good news. And there's no soloists. There's no solo performance in this drama. You don't get to do it alone. You can't go rogue. You're not a lone wolf. We need each other. Our mission to the world, our being God's letter and sacrament to the world, it comes from our sacramental life and practice as a gathered community, as a baptismal community, as a Eucharistic community. Remember the, the year 2019? Who remembers the year 2019? What happened that summer? Something big, something historic, right? Happened in the city, even for our country. See, remember the Raptors won the championship. That felt like a long time ago, and that was good news. That was good news, not just for Torontonians, but for all Canadians all over the world. You remember how people responded to that good news. How did people respond? They got together. They got together for a party. They got together for a parade. People crammed in together. On a hot day, all over the streets of Toronto, an estimated two million along the Victory Parade route. What did that signal to the world? It signaled unity. It signaled hope. It signaled joy, a coming together of an incredibly diverse group of people from all over the world people who would not be otherwise together except for the Raptors, including people who wouldn't care less for basketball. See, for a brief moment in time, it brought a sense of unity, of hope and joy and patriotism for Canadians all around the globe. One could even say, whether they were aware of it or not, that was a sacramental experience for Canadians. That was mysterious. That was mystical for everyone. We haven't felt like that in a very long time. And we're still wanting to taste that again, aren't we? Now imagine on that day of the parade, the whole city of Toronto decided to just stay home. I'm going to stay home and live stream this thing. Just stream the parade from my TV. I have Wi-Fi. I'm comfortable in my PJs. I have coffee in my hand. No one shows up to that party. No crowds at the parade. Still happens. What would that signal to the world? Would that signal unity? Hope? Would that signal joy? Nope. 
It wouldn't. It signals something. There's always going to be some signals, but it would signal to the world that the Raptors winning isn't so much of a big deal. wasn't a big deal. It would signal that the Raptors actually don't have fans. It would signal that the Raptors doesn't actually have a following. It doesn't get you excited at all. See, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we like it or not, the world is watching Christians, watching the church. And these days it feels like the world is just waiting for the church to slip up again. The church is being read closely like a letter. They have a magnifying glass. They're looking at the fine print. But you know, you can't convey much in the letter with just writing one letter or two letters or five letters on a page on an eight and a half by eleven. But with numerous, numerous, numerous letters bound together, stringed in sentences and paragraphs, in prose and in poetry, you can get your message across clearer, better, with more nuance. We need one another's letters together on a page together. What will our city read when so many Christians are inside their church buildings? They're singing, they're praying, they're serving together. They're also inside each other's homes, being hosted and hosting others. They're inside our workplaces and offices, parks and coffee shops. They're everywhere along the streets and neighborhoods, and they're working and changing our global industries. What will the world read when we're showing up together everywhere to live out holy, risky, loving, and truthful relationships? When we actually love each other with our words, with our gestures, with our money, with our time, when we're breaking bread together and welcoming and befriending people who don't look like us, who don't earn as much as we do, who don't sound and think like us, this is when we are speaking the truth in love to each other, even though we disagree with each other, even when we are different from each other. But you still speak the truth in love. What will they read That is good news to the world. That is good news to Toronto. If they see that, us together doing these things. There's only one thing to take away from this morning. It's this. Show up to church. Show up to church. And be in the messiness, in the mystery, in the beauty, in the the sacrament of relationships together with your fellow little team members with kids and babies, with elderly and singles, with families and professionals together. Show up to church. For in our gathering together, in our living from out of our baptism and Eucharist, we are sent as a mission, as God's letter and sacrament to the world. We are signaling to creation that God is up to something. He is up to something even right now. He is reconciling people together. He's reconciling everything to himself. It starts in the church. In the zeal and the promise of Jesus Christ, he promised he will do this in the appointed time. To his glory alone. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.